Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode number 76. Today we're talking about 0.118. As usual, we have Phil join us. Hey, Phil. Hey, Rohan. How's it going? Not bad. And we've got Sean coming in from the UK. Hey, Sean. Hi, thanks for having me. This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily and securely access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. The configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML. Sean, I've got to say I am really excited to talk to you a bit later because I have seen your blog everywhere <laughs> like for as long as I've been using Home Assistant, I reckon, so I'm going to be really excited to pick your brains as well. Okay, great. All right. So, Phil, the cloud strikes again. sure does this one i'm really grateful uh, for pat rooney who reached out to us uh in the podcast room on the home assistant discord so it looks like there's a new firmware update which is being rolling out to the tp link smart switches uh, which is breaking compatibility with home assistant so these are wi-fi smart switches that you can use uh, to turn off and on things remotely from within home assistant and i think there's the uh, hs110 module or mo- model that allows you to do power monitoring as well. I actually have one connected to my dishwasher, which is how I know mm-hmm. when the dishwasher is done. But yeah, there's a thread in the Home Assistant forums that you can read up about. It looks like it's possibly related to just UK versions of this switch, but it looks like they've uh, issued out a firmware update which is blocking uh, unrestricted access to these devices, which is what the Home Assistant component was using to access these, you know, the data on off-state power levels and all that uh so yeah unfortunately uh mr mandrake which on the forums got a reply from tp link which was says uh we are aware that there were some security vulnerabilities on the previous firmware some third parties might take advantage of the vulnerability uh, and to avoid potential attacks and security risks uh, they have released a new firmware version 1.1.0 to fix it and that should be the reason why you found some functionalities on the third party smart hub not working. So I don't think TP-Link are going to fix it anytime soon. Right. Interestingly, out here in Australia, I think I'm on version 1.5.0. So I'm not sure if it is region-based, but definitely if you are on the UK, it's time to block these devices from getting access to the internet to stop the update from coming through. Fair enough. Okay. So so yeah, so it's less, than, less, less of the cloud striking game, more of just them breaking functionality. Yeah, but I mean, they're coming into your home and taking something. Yeah, from yeah, yeah. Kind of doing it against your will. All in the name of security, which I can understand from their point of view, but hmm. it's a breaking feature like this. And I, I like their the response was just check the app. If the, our app is working fine, then there's no bugs, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, yeah, that that's a tough one, but yeah, agreed. Also. If you already haven't heard, the Home Assistant Conference is coming up. Um, so this year, um, it's it's called the Home Assistant Conference. It used to be called the State of the Union, if you're familiar with that. Uh, but obviously, because of you know the pandemic and basically the world being the way it is, it's actually going to be held virtually on a platform called Hopin. So you can attend it. Uh, there is there is a ticket purchase. It's a dollar. Um, I don't know if it's, it's a dollar US. I think. I um, assume so. Yeah, and uh, the conference is held on December thirteenth at six p.m. Central European time, which roughly translates to I believe it's twelve p.m. US Eastern time for for myself and Phil. I'm not sure what time that is for you, but four a.m. Monday. 4 a.m. Monday, so a little early for <laughs> for the Kiwis and the Aussies in the in the crowd. Yeah, so uh, the link is homeassistant.io slash conference. Um, we'll post the link in the show notes as well, just so it's easy. And Rohan, I think it's I think we're pretty excited to announce today also that we will be doing a live recording of a, the Home Assistant podcast from the conference. So I believe uh, what is it like? 6 p.m. there'll be the initial opening speeches then there'll be some other speeches around on the other stages there's a whole bunch of different talks this year and then 
I believe, after Paulus does his main keynote speech at some point in the day or tire or night for Europeans, we will then uh, have a stage somewhere where we will do a live recording. Uh, we don't have a time confirmed yet as, as we're recording this, so check out the schedule on the conference page on homebusiness.io. Uh, but yeah, we'll be taking questions and answers live. Uh, it will be raw. There will be lots of ums and ahs and mistakes, I'm sure, to be had. That's right. That's right. So you, you get to experience what we experience firsthand. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we'll be breaking down the 0.119 release. And I believe it'll be our final episode for 2020, which has been a crazy ride of a year. That's right. That's right. So it should be it should be fun. And uh, let's see. Uh, let's see where it goes. I know Phil and myself are both pretty excited for that. So should be good. All right, let's talk 0.118. First and foremost, the Home Assistant OS is getting a new update. Um, it's the there's a there's a pre-release update coming out, um, which is the version 5.5. Which uh, the aim is to make 5.x releases the stable release. Um, so whether or not it'll be 5.5 is not sure, but uh, hopefully it will be sometime soon. And as part of that, they also want to declare 64-bit or 64-bit architecture as the recommended platform for the Raspberry Pi 4. Um, Interesting. So yeah, yeah, which is which is also really cool. And uh, so, so that again, that's not going to be official yet, but that is that is the intent. But which to me says, you know, okay, well, if I have the option, start moving towards 64-bit. Um, but moving from 32-bit to 64-bit is typically not a just an upgrade operation that's usually a rebuild so that's Back something config and, and start again basically yeah yeah exactly so you know if at, at some point there may be no reason to do it at some point there may be a reason to do it you know you do i i, I would rather go native 64 bit but i don't know there's also going to be a new board that's going to be supported as of 5.5 which is the it's going to be the hard kernel odroid c4 board um, which, uh, if you're into that ecosystem, then, uh, cool. It's going to be supported as of 5.5. Good to see the, uh, Home Assistant OS increasing the supported hardware. I know mm-hmm. um, we don't really talk about the hardware, but there is so much more than just being able to run Home Assistant on a Raspberry Pi now, thanks to all these little, you know, improvements to Home Assistant OS that are coming in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Quick bit of an update there. Actually, one one thing also that's there that I didn't put in the notes is sorry, um, is that there's also a uh, version three is out for the Android app if you use that as well for the companion app. Oh yes, I saw that. Yeah, so there's a bunch of changes in there um, that's coming as well. So if you're on that ecosystem, um, have a look at the changes, and you probably want to update. I remember seeing the tweet and it was like announcing Home Assistant three point zero, and I'm like. Well, hang on a second. We haven't got to 1.0 yet. Where, where's the? <laughs> where's this come from, right? Yeah, we just um, leapfrogged but, three versions. <laughs> exactly, right? But I did like the, the power menu. So if you have, I think it's Android version 11, uh, you can, from the power menu, you can now have access to home assistant entities. So you can have like your favorite light or input booleans on that screen as well. So pretty handy. I think it's similar to the Siri lock screen or Siri shortcuts, whatever they're called in iOS. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, some new features for 0.118, and we talked about it in the last episode, but it's now become the default. So uh, native types of port for templates are now here. So if you do need to go back, I believe there is still a configuration option that you can switch back to, but that's for the things like lists for RGB colors, etc. So that's good to see that we're moving forward on that. Yeah, yeah. There's also a new grid card. So it's a new uh, card type in uh, Lovelace for a new layout. Um, so uh, this is actually something that was asked in the month of what the heck. So it's really cool. Um, again, more, more. I think that was actually a pretty popular one when I looked at it. So um, yeah, <laughs> like this is something that I've been trying to do for ages in Lovelace, like get things to line up, you know, using a combination of, you know, vertical stacks, horizontal stacks. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. I've been using um, there's a custom button card mm-hmm. in the custom. Yeah, you, you can find in the um, I think through the community store and things like that. Yes, um, yeah. and that's really good for doing slightly more complex layouts. I've got that <clears throat> with my lights and uh, a mm-hmm. couple of other sensors. So. 
but this looks like it might bring some of that functionality native which is good yeah yeah, exactly. yeah. one less component to have to load in and keep up to date <laughs> exactly well exactly right and and you know it's it's kind of you're not hacking around to try and get what you want so that's uh nice <laughs> another new card that's come in this release is the logbook card and this is something i sort of looked at and i was like hmm i'm not sure why you'd want that but i guess if you're running a home assistant on a tablet somewhere in the house and you want to be able to just see, you know, his quick history of what's happening in the house. Uh, yeah, you can now have the logbook straight on your Lovelace UI, which, you know, can see who turned the lights off or what automations uh, processed it. Yeah, it's still, still handy to have. To me, I, I don't know. I never really look at the logbook. I probably should. Um, <laughs> it's great for debugging why that light just turned off, right? Yeah, yeah, Maybe exactly. To turn off. And actually, with the most recent releases, the logbook has become... Uh, so much more powerful because now it tells you not only like all right yes the light turned off but what caused it to turn off so for example was it the automate like this automation yes. turned off and from that automation what entity was that trigger you know was it the door opening was it a motion sensor so yeah m- much more powerful now yeah exactly and and which which is pretty handy as well right just to figure out what's when stuff is going haywire so um it's good to see that um there's a new nest dsm integration that uh supports thermostats now so i mean that one's pretty self-explanatory yeah uh color extractor now this one i must say is probably one of the most interesting ones i've seen this year and i'm quite excited for it so the color extractor will uh you pass it an image and it will work out the predominant color from that image and then apply that to a light in your home. So this is going to be great for things like changing light colors based on the Spotify album artwork or a Plex movie poster or fan art. So you can just pass it a picture and let's say it's green field, like so lots of grass and so the main color is green. It will attempt to match that green exactly and then set the light that you set it to to be that color. So really cool i'm gonna be interested to see uh if this is i'm not sure if it's cloud-based or if it's all done locally and if so mm-hmm. if it's done locally how much hardware power you would need to to run images like or is it easy i don't know but that's really cool yeah i mean i, I don't i don't see it being a replacement for something like if you're trying to build uh Oh, shoot, what are those things called? The Zambulites or whatever? With Oh, the things that Philips TV have, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I yeah. So I, I don't see it being a replacement for that, but, you know, maybe maybe it is. I don't know. Um, I'd love to see what comes out of that one. Uh, that's, I don't know why. The, when I first read that in the in the beta notes, that's where my head went first. So I'd be like, ooh, yeah. that might be kind of cool. And I was like, yeah, I don't think it'll work that fast, but you never know. Maybe it, maybe it does work that fast, which is great. I think that would have to be done on a moving image, right? Like this is like just a static image that you pass it to. Exactly. You go well, thinking about like running yeah. it against a video. So it, Well, exactly. Just logistically, you'd have to take a snapshot of that picture and then yeah. um, somehow That's send that ugly. JPEG to Home Assistant and then do it that way. But the Rune Media Player now has media browser support so um that media browser that we talked about a couple weeks ago is really growing so which is nice uh if you have multiple devolo z-wave to ip controllers in your house uh you can now have multiple instances set up so i guess great if you've got like an upstairs z-wave network and a downstairs z-wave network and you need to integrate both of them into a single home assistant instance that is now possible we talked about the quick bar last week and as part of that, um, it's actually already being expanded to now have navigation command, which is really nice to see. Have you have you used it yet, Phil? The the quick bar? Uh, look, to be honest, I upgraded to the beta today. Um, yeah, because I was really excited to see this. Oh yeah, cool. And I reloaded my uh, Lovelace, and I can't get the access to the quick bar at the moment. So I'm guessing there's a cache issue somewhere that I haven't been able to solve. But yeah, by the looks of the screenshots. It looks pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I did the same last night and I tried it. I don't know, Sean, if you've tried it yet, but um, I haven't. I'm still on. I'm still on one one seven, which I think that that had the first yeah. part pass of it. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't yeah. actually played with it yet. Yeah, exactly. The last the last update, I just updated it and didn't try it. I tried it last night and same thing, Phil. I couldn't uh, couldn't get it to pop up. But I think well, when I loaded it, when I uh, reloaded my uh, Home Assistant instance, I press something and it came up and then when i looked and it's like oh I press command p great press it and i got the print dialogue so 
It's, oh yeah, they changed that last at the very last moment. Remember? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, that's it's now uh, C or E are the shortcut commands. Right, 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 right. Okay, so I will try that, and that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the there's a button to duplicate scripts now. So I'm guessing if you're doing building scripts in the user interface and you want to reuse some logic you've done, you can now just quickly duplicate a script and then apply it to your next automation. That is perfect. And I just checked it. It is C. So it, is C. it does work. <laughs> um, so that duplicating scripts, that, that sounds quite handy. What would be useful as well is something to just copy an automation because a number of times I've got to automate, I've set up an automation and mm. I want something very similar. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it would be great yep. to just be able to say, right, copy this and then go and make the changes that I need for that specific yeah, absolutely. And I'm guessing if they're doing starting these sort of stuff in the UI for duplicating scripts, then eventually that's where the, the goal will be, right? Roll it out to automations, roll it out to yeah, yeah. scenes and, and all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. Although the nice thing is now they've got the – now that you can toggle between the YAML view and the user interface, I suppose you can yeah. just go and grab the YAML, copy it in, switch back to the exactly. UI yeah, and much more make portable. the changes. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, logic, the logic is – Pretty much the same thing across the board. So it's for them for the most part. Yeah. And breaking changes. So the biggest one there again, there's going to be a few, but the biggest one we saw was that uh, I alarm if you use that platform is being removed. So um, they used to use web scraping logic, um, which is no longer allowed or hasn't been allowed in Home Assistant for a while. So. Um, I think I think there's just a cleanup effort going on still behind the scenes where they're just trying to find a lot of those plugins that use web scraping and and clean that up. So because of that, iAlarm is no longer supported by Home Assistant. I just have this like um, view, like this imaginary thought of these components or integrations hiding in Home Assistant, trying to duck and weave for every release. Yeah. You know that they they know they're not allowed to be there anymore, but you know they're just trying to hold on as long as possible, right? Until that's the developer it. goes, "Hey, what are you doing there? You're not allowed there." That's right. That's right. So yeah, I, I saw I saw that that one got uh, yanked. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no more fun for you guys. That's right. You got spotted. I alarm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean web scraping has kind of has its place if there's no other alternative you know mm. i think uh, it's not ideal because obviously it's, it's and the reason it's not there is because it's so open to the whims of the developers changing the layout of the web page but you know That's sometimes it, right? sometimes it can have a place mm-hmm. yeah well i I'm, i think i think the problem is in a application as large scale as home assistant in the sense of from a from a user-based perspective i think what happens is when when you know, when a web developer does change their website, um, now all of a sudden you have thousands of people whose logic is broken, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah. I think that's, that's a big, big issue. All right. Well, Sean, now this is where we get to pick your brains. So I guess, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I know I've, I said before that I, I've been seeing your blog everywhere and your know, Twitter and all that. So I guess let's start off with how you started with Homes and go through the journey. Okay, well, I think the home automation in general started after there was an attempted break-in at my house, which was about six years ago. Wow. Um, I, I was at work. I was on my way home from work. In fact, um, they got as far as breaking a window, and I think they were disturbed at that point and uh, didn't get in. And that's when I decided that I wanted to have some lights coming on at night, you know, to make it look mm-hmm. like there's someone home. And... Uh, separately i also got an alarm system but that's not connected to anything but the lights i started off with those um, mechanical timer switches you know those mm-hmm. things where you just have those little notches that you set for the times you want them to come on and plugged a couple of lamps into them yeah, yeah. the problem with those you know you've got to keep adjusting them as the sort of daylight changes and things like that and, and they get time you know, drift as well like if they yeah spin too far and and they can actually be pretty noisy if you get like an old one that actually tick, tick, does tick, a, tick, literally tick. a rotate, exactly. right? Like yeah. it can yeah. actually be pretty noisy. And they're also a pain if you want to manually override them and just turn the light on. Sometimes yeah. you're going to you know, lean around and find where it's plugged in. And, and you know. um, So that's what started me looking at automation. And I started off with um, smart things mm-hmm. because I think that was being, it was when it started being heavily promoted um, after Samsung had bought it. 
mm. um, got a couple of their smart plugs and did it that way and uh, got quite involved with that because I do tend to get sort of stuck into to things like that, you know, when I get going. Um, and so, you know, I was doing things like creating, you can create smart apps within smart things and sending. I had some temperature sensors because I had some of their um, door sensors and things yep. that also reported temperature. So I was sending that to Influx and all that. And you were doing that natively just through SmartThings? So sending it that to was smart things at the time. Else? Yeah, you, yeah the, the, you can write little smart apps in, in a language called Groovy. Yep. Um, yep. Which for anyone that doesn't know is a kind of Java-based scripting language. Um, I also had some security cameras with ZoneMinder, and I'll come back to that because that's how it all sort of um, developed. But... Um, after a couple of years of running that, I think it was early 2017, I was, smart things has often had reliability problems with the cloud. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, I was starting to get more into the automation. I think I'd added some um, hue light bulbs by that point. And uh, I already had a machine that was running 24-7 for the zone, for the zone minder stuff. And I came across Home Assistant. I already had somewhere to run it. And that's how I how I got started with that. It sort of came at a good time, really, because, as I say, I'd had a few problems with reliability for smart things, and mm. having something running locally was was a godsend. So, yeah, I'd say that was about uh, 2017. And uh, so, yeah, um, I'm currently running it under Docker, um, just on the same machine that I'm running ZoneMinder. Nice. Um, I'm quite tempted. I sort of like to switch to the OS because I think, you know, it would make the updates easier and you get the mm. add-on community store. There's stuff in there now. Sure. I think I'd like that. Now I've got to go and figure out how to install it manually or what Docker containers to set up to, to, to run it alongside. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, you know, that's like to do it with my current setup, I've either got to have a separate machine dedicated for it or look into virtual machines. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How do you find running Home Assistant and ZoneMinder on the same host? Is it like, what sort of host is it? Is it beefy enough to, because I'm guessing ZoneMinder would have a lot of uh, requirements in terms of processing videos coming through. Yeah. And, and that's something I'll talk about with ZoneMinder because it's um, the biggest problem with it. I've got a little mini PC that I sort of bought for the task really. Um, mm-hmm. And that, now that must be five or six years old now but it's uh it's an i5 uh fifth generation something like that yeah um quad core with or two cores plus two threads um and i think eight gig of ram so and that and and that's plenty most of the time as long as you're not trying to do anything too challenging with zone minder which is um which is the next thing so i mean the brief the brief thing about zone minder is it's um it's an open source CCTV system. Yeah, um, like an NVR sort of for your yeah, home, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and the zone bit comes into it because you can define zones that you're interested in for motion detection. Um, and it's got quite a, a good system for that. You can set up all sorts of um, configuration to try and eliminate false positives and, you know, ha- have different zones with different settings to sort of control. I'm guessing the zones, do you mean like uh, if you can think of like a, a webcam and you could define like this square in the picture, if there's motion in that square, exactly, then exactly, that, gets, yeah. that triggers something. Yeah. 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 So, for example, I've got um, the camera at the front of my house covers a little bit of the street outside as well. So I want the, yep. um, the zone to exclude that and just have, yep. you know, sure. not getting, you know, people passing by. And you can make the zones any shape you like. You can literally make them as complex as as, as you want. And it's got various settings for how sensitive it is to, to changes. But um, the problem is you can never entirely, with those things that compare one image with another, you're never going to entirely yeah. eliminate the false positives. Yeah. You, know, you get things like trees blowing, cre- creating shadows, you know, or the sun's coming in and out behind clouds. It's, you know, you, you still get false positives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know my Ring video doorbell, I've recently changed its settings to do person detection. So basically the video goes up to Amazon's cloud and it detects, you know, is there a person in the image? And if so, then send me 
an alert, but I get so many false positives even from that, right? And that's, you know, a beefy cloud server up in Amazon's cloud yeah, trying to detect this with their machine learning. So imagine yeah. what your little NetTop computer well, is trying to do, right? Yeah, but actually, so as I say, native ZoneMinder is literally just comparing two images and, you know, what percentage is different between the two mm. images within sure. the zones that you've defined. Um, but then there's an add-on for it, which is called ZM Event Notification. Um, and it's by the guy who's the developer of the app. There's an app for ZoneMinder called ZM Ninja. Mm -hmm. And what that does, as well as improving the notifications, is um, it brings in a machine learning model that you can run locally okay. to look at the images and look for objects. Nice. Um, so the route that I've got now is that that I have the zone minder zones do a simple first pass for with the threshold set quite low so I don't miss anything. The ZM event notification then just checks for objects which include people. Yep. And then that has an MQTT output so it can update a sensor in my home assistant to say that there's been there's been motion. Mm. Um, and it sends the confidence threshold. So with object detection it gives you a percentage confidence that it is actually that object. Okay. Um, which is quite good. Um, so you can do notifications directly through ZM event notification, but I'm using Home Assistant to do all of that because that Home Assistant has some nice controls for ZoneMinder. Um, so, for example, ZoneMinder has a number of different modes. You can have it just monitoring, so you're just viewing what's on the cameras. You can have the motion detection or you can have constant recording, things like that. And if you use the integration for ZoneMinder, you get some switches that can toggle between two states. So okay. I can toggle mm -hmm. motion detection on and off through through Home Assistant. Um, and I do that through automations. Um, so, for example, I've got one camera, the one that covers my back garden. Um, I don't want that motion detecting when I'm home because it's just going to get constant footage of me going in mm -hmm. my garden. Yeah. So that one I can switch on. You know, I've got presence detection in Home Assistant. Home Assistant notices that I've gone out, turns on motion detection for that camera. Um, and the same with the notifications. There are times when for some cameras I might want to be aware of motion, but not necessarily get a notification for it. So right. my front door, for example, it's useful to have the log, have the motions be, being captured so that you can go back. But I don't need to know when the postman comes and drops something through my letterbox or, you know, yeah. someone drops a leaflet through the door. Um, so I have toggles to say whether I want notifications for those ones. Um, and that's all you that's using a um, Boolean input in in Home Assistant. The other thing I can do with Home Assistant that, again, adds something to what ZoneMinder can do natively is you'll get repeated motion detection. If there's mo motion going on, it might stop the you know, someone walks across a scene, stands still for a second, then carries on walking, you might get two separate motion events. Right, because the frame hasn't changed for a little bit, then it's changing again. Mm. Exactly. Right. And you don't really need two notifications for that. You know, you you can say, well, yeah, I've seen that happening. That all really classes as the same event, you know. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I can put a little timer on it again to say, basically throttle how often it sends me the notifications. So if it sent a notification for a given camera, um, you know, don't send another notification for X amount of time. I'm actually, the logic got a little bit complicated there, so I ended up using AppDemon to, to manage it. So, right. so um, could you, I'm guessing now, because recently in uh, Home Assistant they've introduced uh, like thresholds in how often a script can run. Um, if you add a so you could do something like, um, you know, send your alert as part of an automation in Home Assistant and then have a delay at the end of that automation and then tell Home Assistant to run the automation once only. And then while the delay is on, say you put the delay for five minutes at the end of the automation, if that event gets triggered again or the automation gets triggered again, Home Assistant can't run it because it's been told that there's only one execution at a time possible. So you could potentially do that sort of cooldown logic now in Home Assistant. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, that was something that uh, wasn't there when I set this up. But mm. you know, there's all of that stuff's coming in and making it, uh, you know, yeah. easier easier to set up, which is great. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah that's um but coming back to the the performance thing the problem with zone minder is you know you were sort of guessing really is that it's quite processor intensive <laughs> yeah. um it works by doesn't matter what, what you're doing with the incoming streams whether you're just viewing them or, or doing the detection it breaks them down into individual jpegs for analysis yeah. okay yeah so you know it was it was great in the days of lower resolution cameras but if you start getting hd cameras it's mm-hmm. you know that's uh, that takes a lot of processing and what it doesn't have um is a particularly good way of saying right you know most ip cameras have two two video streams mm. um they'll have a low res one that for monitoring and a high res one for, for recording sure and sure. um, there isn't really a good way in zone mind to say right well I, I only want to be detecting from the um low, low res, res yeah. and, and then i want to record the high res you can set it up but it still has to analyze it still has to break down the high res camera in, into individual images and that can be um, very cpu intensive especially if you've got a sort of higher frame rate on that camera yeah so at the moment i'm still just using the low res images um which is a bit of bit of a sort of down downside to it so um but i've actually got the high res streams recording constantly through a synology so it's kind of you know mm, okay it would be nice to tie the two up um but uh the the object detection again you see little cpu spikes when it runs but it runs quite quickly and it's quite efficient so and and you said that's just running on an old i5 right so yeah yeah okay so that probably helps too so if it's on a raspberry pi or something it might oh die. yeah you probably yeah. couldn't run um <laughs> zone minder on a raspberry pi but yeah. <laughs> uh, there is now another alternative which i discovered uh, a few weeks ago and uh, i'm looking into the guy on the forums um uh, Blake Blackshear, and he's developed something called Frigate. I don't know if you've seen that. No, I haven't. Um, that's quite interesting because that uses a you can get a, what, a Coral AI USB accelerator. So mm-hmm. it's a little USB thing that plugs in with uh, I think it's a TensorFlow chip in it. Okay. Okay. And you can offload that um, object detection to that. Um, and he set that up so that, um, again, it can use MQTT to, to report. And yeah. it just shows up in Home Assistant as a motion sensor. So it's slightly easier to use for the notifications because you'll have mo- motion on and off in the same way that you would with a PIR motion, motion sensor. Mm. Um, and it can recall clips while there's motion going on. Uh, mm-hmm. It's still um, not great with the high res streams if again because it's having to pull images out from them yeah but i think it looks a bit simpler and therefore might be easier to add in that you know just record the high res and get clips out of it when when the low res detects motion but uh, yeah he's done some, there's some great work on that he's um you can run it under docker but uh, i think it's now been put into the add-on store as well so oh that's awesome so you can actually run it as part of home system yeah yeah um and you'll get uh, MQTT um, images as well. So you get the images of the last thing it, it right. found and, and all that. So um, not quite there yet for me to replace my zone mine. It's definitely something I'm keeping an eye on because I think it's got a lot of potential. And though the USB accelerator means you should be able to run it on quite a low-spec machine. Yeah. Because yeah. all of that machine learning stuff is off onto a dedicated little bit of hardware that can it's do It's all its own thing, yeah. 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 It's just yeah. a GPU, I'm guessing, that's just plugged in by USB. So, yeah, I mean they're they're, they're not uh, not expensive. I think they're about yeah. um, fifty, sixty dollars. Okay, okay, that's um, pretty cool. And uh, yeah, the as he's got on the site, I think I think he says it can um, process over a hundred frames a second. Nice. With you know, so you can have multiple cameras. Typically, you run a Yep. security camera at fairly low frame rate sort of 10 12 15 frames a second so, yeah yeah um yeah it's, it's just like the yeah it's just like a little dedicated uh uh yeah um tensorflow ai chip but he's got some on his github page he's got some stats for the inference speeds um for sort of you know uh which is how long it takes to, to actually detect uh, an image to actually sort of analyze an image mm-hmm and, and they're in the milliseconds, typically. Yeah, which mm. is awesome. 
Yeah. So, and also yeah. means you're not reliant on an internet connection so that if a bad person somehow finds that internet connection lying to your house and kills it, you can still run your object detection inside your house. Yeah. You can, although obviously it can't get notifications out to you at that point, which is one of the, yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about that because mm. apparently a lot of, um, you know, burglars, the first thing they look for in the house is anything that looks like it might be a sort of, you know, especially if they've seen cameras, anything that looks like it might be a recording device. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> destroy that it. offline. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know where you go with that. What do you do? Sort of get a, a sort of SIM card in something and have something that can, mm-hmm. you know. Well, that's up. it. That's what I was going to say, right? If you get a SIM card and at least you have internet connectivity for your notification. <laughs> so hopefully you can call the police or something. Meanwhile, but Yeah, yeah. It's how far you want to go with that. I mean, well, you know, the, the cameras in themselves actually are a deterrent. You know, just having them, mm-hmm. just having mm-hmm. them put up you know having having an alarm system put up that sort of thing but uh yeah it's uh it's been it's been quite good the um say the zone minder one's been quite reliable but it's in terms of not getting false positives um the object detection works really well as i say it's just a bit um bit cpu hungry and uh it would be nice to start using the higher resolution streams i'm wondering if zoneminder would support the uh offload on uh, on on gpu or whatever as well from from that perspective right so maybe that you can get a little better performance keeping zoneminder rather than having to switch since all of your logic is already kind of in there right or your process yeah, it might it, it might do. I think um, that would be something that there'd have to be some development work in the, the the ZM event notification, which is the the add-on that does it for ZoneMinder, to actually use that um, accelerator. I don't think it would be that complex to add as an option. So that might be something that uh, you know the developer could think about. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's you know it's, it's it would still be. I think. The core problem with ZoneMinder is the high-resolution streams still get broken yeah. down into individual images, even if you're not doing motion detection in them. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's because when, if you do want to call them to do recording, um, it allows you to have a sort of um, a little overlap either end. So, you know, get, get 10 seconds before the motion was detected so that you can get some context for it. And obviously, in order to do that, it needs to have the history it can't just yeah. start recording as soon as the motion is detected. What sort of cameras are you using? Like, do you have a go-to brand or, or anything for the, the type of cameras? Like, you've got power over Ethernet cameras that have to, to be a certain resolution. Um, do, are they cloud-based um, that you prefer? Yeah, no, they're ba- basically just sort of straightforward um, IP cameras. Um, a couple of them are fairly generic no name ones okay. if you go on to uh you know any sort of store on amazon or something like that you can find yep. uh you know any sort of cheap cheap and cheerful um yep. uh wi-fi ones because a couple of them have i've got a wi-fi which has been a bit a little bit unreliable but um mm-hmm. yeah it's just the only practical solution for where they are yeah um i've also got one of them's a hick vision yep mm um that's the one on the front and that one i could actually get a wire to it so that's running that's power over ethernet to, to run that yeah. one um and yeah that's probably been the most reliable i have actually all three of them um firewalled off at my router so they can't talk out to the internet because i found they were quite chatty yeah, interesting oh really interesting yeah um yeah so uh don't know where they're talking back to, but uh, I thought you know, better safe than sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they're not talking to anyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I only need to access them locally. You know, I don't, um, you know, why have them potentially accessible from mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. or potentially be able to talk outside when I don't need to? And are you using any of the, like, imaging from the cameras inside, like a Lovelace dashboard or anything in home? Is it? Um, yeah, my main page has, um, and that actually I think comes off of ZoneMinder because you can expose the ZoneMinder sensors as mm-hmm. as cameras. Cool. Um, and I've got the the front front of the house just there on my main home page. In you know the first page in Home Assistant, but yep. then I've got another page that just shows me the last detected thing that happened. Yep. Yeah, um, that's cool. So do you, do you have like uh, some kind of a tablet set up or something like that with it, uh, with it 
displayed anywhere or is it just kind of like you don't really need to actively look at it and you just kind of when you care you pull out your phone and look or something like that yeah it's more it's more that really because the the native zone minder stuff and the zone minder app sort of has all the recordings mm-hmm. so you can scroll back through the recordings um it's uh something i might uh look at i've got a couple of things now where i can cast um cast screens yeah. so i've got a nest display and um i recently picked up uh the new um google chromecast google yeah. tv chromecast yeah. things yeah. i'm sort of playing with that so that could give me the option to just you know again you, you know use home assistant to, to cast part of the display or cast the camera to it to uh to yeah. the tv if i wanted to but <laughs> yeah yeah that'd be kind of cool somebody walks up your front door presses you know the doorbell ding dong and you know, your yeah. camera is now yeah. shown on your TV screen, right? Your Plex is paused or whatever. Like, like it's well, yeah. I, cool I, I mean, I've got, yeah. I've actually got the doorbell itself hooked up. So, um, yeah, the doorbell is just one of those very simple, um, wireless remote, buttons. you know, cheap, yeah. cheap buttons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, I use RFX tracks or RFX TRX, which is a, uh, those doorbells work on 433 megahertz. Got it. Yeah. So you can just sniff and the packet. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's just a little radio that listens to those. Again, there's an integration for it. Um, and I've got a few devices for th- that, that use that, So, mm-hmm. including the doorbell. So, yeah, if, the, if someone rings the doorbell when I'm out, it takes a snapshot from the camera and I get a notification with the snapshot. Okay. Oh, nice one. Um, and one of the, one of the possibilities when I'm in is, yeah, it could, um, someone rings the doorbell. It could sort of, if, if I'm watching the TV, it could flash up the, the picture of who's at the door or something like that. So, that, you know, mm. yeah, I know yeah, yeah. and if you're away, it. you can always get the speakers to play some barking dogs or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um, but, uh, yeah, they, that was quite a cheap way of getting a, a sort of smart doorbell without going down the um nest or ring route really yeah yeah, yeah yeah exactly it's a cheaper way to doing it yeah yeah it's not quite as you know you can't sort of actually talk to the people who ring the doorbell or anything like that but um yeah that's okay i'm fairly antisocial so it's uh it's not a bad thing <laughs> <laughs> and also sometimes being able to talk to someone through your doorbell isn't that reliable anyway like <sighs> i've got the ring camera and you try and talk to someone through your speakerphone on your phone and to the doorbell and of course the internet connection isn't that yeah. reliable somewhere and the person can't hear what's coming out of the speaker anyway. So, yeah, it's not all that's, that's cracked up to be. Well, and and the you know the, the, the speaker on the doorbell, that's the size of, God, who knows Peanut, what. Right. It, 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 it's yeah. it's tiny, right? The mm. quality is exactly as terrible as you expect it to be. <laughs> right? So, I mean, not, not, that, not that voice needs great quality or anything or great fidelity for you to understand, but it's still, still not great. <laughs> yeah. 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 But okay, so so that that's awesome. So it sounds like you've got a pretty intricate setup with your with your video, and and you've been you've been trying to doing this for a while. Then yeah, it, it, it sort of evolved really. <laughs> you know, the I think it was only last year that the object detection thing mm-hmm. um, sort of was was released and I integrated that, um, and uh, you know that took quite a lot of sort of you know playing with the different options and getting that installed. Um, I think one of the one of the things that might make um, the frigate thing, if especially if it's available through the add-on store, uh, more appealing to people is that ZoneMinder can be fiddly to update and maintain, and uh, you know it's uh, yeah yeah it's it's quite it's quite an old system. I think it, sh- it shows its age. It's, it's it's there's lots of different moving parts in different languages, and you need to mm. have your database set up and things like that. So you know you. It's not difficult, but you need to know what you're doing. Yeah, I, th- I think I think most DIYers also understand that if you're going to go run your own, you know, setup like a camera setup and stuff like that, you 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 kind of know what you're getting into, right? Because <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it, it, yeah, there is complexity, right? It's yeah. not it's not going to be the easiest um, thing. And yeah, having something you know that's a little bit simpler, especially if it can be installed through the add-ons, mm-hmm. um, could could help to bring that to more people. So you know, it's. It's, it'll be an interesting project to watch and uh yeah yeah for sure 
Um, so yeah, I, I mentioned those the, the 433 megahertz things. I've got some cheap plug sockets as well that um, use that, which is um, yeah, they they come with a remote control. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I could control them, and it's like I think it was something like ten or fifteen pounds for a pack of three. Oh, that's not bad at all. Um, and I can control those through that. They they don't feed back what their current state is. You can only send them the on signal or the off signal. So you know they're not they're not perfect, but you know yeah. they're useful. Hey, for a couple of bucks uh, each, that's not bad still. Exactly, exactly. And um, you can also with the the RFX tracks if you've got any of the Oregon Scientific um weather sensors mm-hmm. um it works with those so you know that's how I, that's how i get my outside temperature i've just got those little mm. sort of you know cheap a lot of those things sources. i think there's even some weather stations that might even use that sort of frequency as well so you can tap into that data as well yeah there's there's quite a lot yeah i think um it also supports the frequencies for x10 Oh wow. yeah. Well, yeah. when when, when um, you said when you said remote uh, switches, first thing I thought of was <laughs> was X10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So X10 yeah. and Lightwave, so you can control mm-hmm. those through it. Interesting. Uh, okay. But, uh, I haven't got any of that stuff. I've got I've got a soup of other stuff though. So I've got the I'm still using sm- effectively using my Smart Things Hub now as a Zigbee radio for my legacy legacy yeah, Zigbee device. Yeah. Um. But I've also got, um, and I'm going to show how, I'm going to be English here and say Z-Wave. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, yeah, Z-Wave radio and a few Z-Wave devices dotted around. So, yeah. Nice. So so you got you got a little bit of a mishmash of 433. Yeah. 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 And, and, um, yeah the, the, I went Z-Wave with Home Assistant. You know, I've got the um, stick for it. I don't quite know why I went that route rather than. <laughs> and zigbee to be honest but um on the other hand the z-wave devices tend to be more expensive but they're a little bit more guaranteed to be compatible mm. i think zigbee you can buy devices too. and not know if they're going to work so yeah yeah it's again yeah. open standard right so yeah it's open to interpretation yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and there's a really silly reason I prefer some of my Z-Wave devices which is that well i think all of the zigbee ones i've got take the little button cell batteries mm-hmm and I find they can be a nightmare to change because you've got to try and get those little tabs to pop them out. Yeah. And yeah. I've had the tabs break off. They get brittle and things like that. Whereas um, I think all of my Z-Wave devices just take normal CR, like CR2 mm-hmm. yeah. batteries, which are, you know. And then you can get like rechargeable versions of those batteries too, right? So you're not constantly yeah. throwing away yeah. buttons or batteries, right? Yeah. So they're just it's, it's just easier to keep them maintained and there's less risk of breaking them every time you have to open them up to change a battery. That's funny. Yeah, I think I think most of my Zigbee stuff does use um, just some kind of a proper cell rather than like a button cell. Mm-hmm. But uh, okay. yeah, but I think I think smaller devices definitely would. Yeah. Yeah. I found the smart things ones could be quite sort of, you know, fiddly and brittle and sort of prone to sort of, you know, yeah. Difficult to get into without actually destroying them. Yeah, I had yeah. a I had a smart things presence sensor which oh, I can no longer yes. use. And that was like I think the first generation of those. And yeah. uh yeah, definitely snapped. And then I still managed to hold it together with like tape and a bit of good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's <laughs> That just started not happening. I was like, okay, all right. I think I think I got to call it on this guy. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was doing for presents when I had had smart things. And yeah, I think the first time I tried to open it up to change the battery, the logic ball went pinging out across the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's ha- that that happens every time with things to change that. But yeah, yeah. Um, which is a shame because actually, as a, as a as a presence device, they were pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know you didn't have to worry about you know how often your phone's updating where it is or anything like that. It's just um, not a delay. As soon as it's within range. Yeah. So so what do you yeah. use now for presence then? Um, I'm now using the app, uh, the companion app. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Recently switched over to that. I used to use um, Own Tracks mm-hmm. and the Own Tracks integration, um, but I'm using the app now. Um, I'm finding it's a bit more responsive than OwnTracks was, and uh, because it's also got a sensor that reports what Wi-Fi network you're connected to, mm-hmm. I've set my presence up. It's actually controlled off a of, off a boolean. So the if the location says I've gone from away to home, or 
my Wi-Fi connection goes to my home Wi-Fi connection, then I'm home. Okay. So whichever picks me up first, whether it's the Wi-Fi or the location, yeah. um, it's going to it's gonna class me as being home. So Okay, so a bit more fidelity, if you want to call it. Just a yeah, a bit more reliable because when, you know, where my router's positioned, it's, you know, sometimes the, the location updates only come in every few minutes. You don't necessarily get them as, you know, sure. um, as quickly as you'd like. But the the router for the Wi-Fi is actually positioned not that far from the front door, so I'm usually on the Wi-Fi before I've even opened the door. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, because that's being pushed from the app, it means I'm not having to constantly scan the network. Right. Um, and um, but then for for leaving, I only use location. So if my location shows that I'm away, then I'm away. Don't use the Wi-Fi. For, for the actual leaving because you know the phone might go to sleep or yep. i might be rebooting it or something like that yeah, so yeah. you don't want so, that so, so yeah i sort of do a bit of a mix and match there yeah nice okay. and so what would be one of your like favorite automations or routines that you've got set up for yourself that just makes your life easier um there's, there's a couple i had a a um motion sensing um security light you know just one of the very basic um, halogen lights with a motion sensor on it. Mm-hmm. And um, I found we had some really stormy weather earlier in the year and there's a tree that was setting it off because the tree was blowing okay. around and that, and that was setting off the motion sensor. Um, so I stuck that on on one of these smart plugs and now if the pull, it, pull in the weather forecast from um, the UK Met Office and if the wind goes over a certain level it just turns that uh, sensor off turns that motion sensor off that's pretty so smart I, don't get, I like that uh, I'm not constantly disturbed by the light going on when it's when it's windy yeah 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 <laughs> um, so those little sort of things like that you know that, that make life life a little bit easier um, another one I've set up with the app is I try not to let my phone get to to stay on charge all the time um, yep. I like to take it off charge before it reaches 100% I don't know if that's you know the best way to keep the battery healthy or whatever um so again now i can get a notification when the when the phone's when it's time to take the phone off the charger mm-hmm. um because i'm usually wearing a, a smart watch so i get i get the notification on that so i'll go and take the phone off the charger yep um i do it that way rather than a smart plug because you know i could the phone could be in one of many chargers around the house and they're sure. not all going to be on smart plugs but you know yeah, that makes sense. Um, just getting the notification it's just little things like that and uh the next thing I want to look into, I mean, what I've done with the Hue lights so far has been very basic. It's been sort of turn them on at night at a certain time, mm-hmm. you know, when, I, when I'm away, um, turn on the one uh, by the front door when the door opens, that kind of thing. Um, and now I'm starting to look into the best ways. And there's, there's a lot of different ways. I haven't worked it out yet, but to just get the things like the color temperature to change yeah. according to time of day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the flux component, I think it's called. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm not sure I'm going to go all the way to flux because I don't know. Because um, the other thing is sometimes I kind of want it to be a default when the lights come on or at certain times of day. But then if mm-hmm. I've changed the light manually because I'm doing something, mm-hmm. I don't want to. You know, I'd have. To, I suppose I'd yeah, have to automate right. turning off the flux. Yeah, um, right. which you can do. But you know, there are times. You know, for, I mean, if I'm on a if I'm on a video call, for example, in the evening, then I might have turned a light up bright so that you know the camera works better yep, yep, yep. and i don't want an automation kicking that kicking in and changing that something. again yeah 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 um but yeah there, there's there's various different options the trouble is i need various routes to turning the lights on there's the you know the automations and the, the home assistant ui itself and then i've also got the dimmer switches on the wall the hue dimmer switches and uh use voice assistance as well so that means that mm. you know there's there's various different routes to turning lights on and off mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. yeah and motion sensors do you use just video cameras in the house for motion sensors um not inside the house now i've got some mm. i've got some motion sensors um again i had a couple of the smart things ones uh, and i've added a couple of the the z wave ones yeah. um yeah. again that's something i hadn't done much with i'd mainly had them there as yeah, well, it's added security. If there's motion when I'm out, alert me. Um, but now, yeah, I've, I've decided to get a couple of the lights in, in the sort of, you know, bathroom and various places to, to come on yeah. uh, with motion. 
and you know i'm sure everyone who's used motion sensing lights has done through done that juggling job of you know well what's the threshold how long do you need to leave the light on after it stops detecting motion so yeah, exactly. that it doesn't go dark on you when you yeah <laughs> yeah you know or don't stand still in this room <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so so yeah that and that all comes into it it's nice to have that um uh, especially you know in somewhere like the bathroom you know if you to have it come on automatically at a very low light if you sort of wake up in the night and just go in you don't want it sort of you know you want it to be as warm and as as low brightness as possible sure. so that it doesn't yes, sort of exactly. wake you up too much um uh, yeah that, so that's uh yeah that's kind of the next project really getting all the the, the automation of the lighting to a bit more sophisticated do, do more mm, with it nice yes. that's so cool yeah i always find that getting as much information about a what the room is doing as possible. So for example, in the living room, if the TV's on, then don't turn the lights off when the motion sensor doesn't detect motion. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Same thing like in bathrooms, you know, if the door is closed, then maybe the timer is, you know, half an hour as opposed to if the door's open, then the time is four minutes or something. Right. Just whatever sort of yeah. context. Yeah. You can yeah. Use. yeah. 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 I mean, and what, what I'm going to do is have a, if the mo, if the lights, so there's always, always going to be a way of turning the lights on manually, obviously. And mm. um, if the light's already on when motion's detected, then don't switch it off when motion stops because it's just been turned on manually no. for yeah. a reason. Yeah. You know, don't, don't yep. turn it off. Um, so so there's always going to be a way a way around that, I think, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mentioned voice assistants. I am using – I've actually got both <laughs> for various you – know, yep. pl- played with both, but I'm, I main, mainly use the, the Amazon one. Trying mm. to be very careful here not to Thank say the you. words. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. very hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and um, well, that, that's for the lights. I've decided that um, because I want some of the control to be within Home Assistant now, I've, I've moved both of the voice assistants away from using the native Hue integration to yes, actually yeah. talking to Home Assistant mm-hmm. and sort of exposing the lights from Home Assistant into into those. So. Um, yeah, you know, that that gives that layer of flexibility then that I can control it. Yeah, what happens through Home Assistant? So yeah, exactly. And it's... also good for things like the Amazon Echo routines as well, right? Like everything's just all in the one place. Yeah, uh, get the feedback. Yeah. You know, whatever the state is in Home Assistant, the Amazon Echo app knows, right? Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. And um, even with things like rooms in in, in Hue, uh, you know, I'm not really grouping them in by room in there anymore yep. it's just sort of like just have yeah let, let home assistant worry about that and just effectively use the hue hub as the as the controller for the lights and, yeah and nothing else bridge yeah yep yeah so so yeah sean you mentioned i mean you you kind of use your home assistant for everything um from you know where amazon echo google uh home everything kind of talks to that and then Pulls the states, pulls everything from there, right? And you're flipping the yeah. flipping the switch yeah. in the home assistant. I went through that exercise. Oh god, I don't know, maybe a year ago or so, or maybe a little longer. And you know, we're basically home assistants to brain now, right? And that honestly, that changed so much. Just going through everything and just removing all the other pieces, just so you know, if it doesn't integrate with home assistant, it just doesn't integrate in my home now, right? Yeah. Which yeah, it's nice because it's one point of control. Right. It's I don't have to think about, oh, the Wemo was actually coming in directly through uh, through my Amazon Echo or, you know, things like that. That It, it, it kind of removes a little bit of the thinking and all the logic is in one place, which is nice. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and uh, that gave me a reason to subscribe because I wanted the voice assistants to mm-hmm. subscribe to Nabucasa because <laughs> um, yeah. it's just so much easier to set up through there than trying to do it yourself oh, absolutely oh, way easier way easier actually it's funny because i had the echoes for probably the first i don't know few months before before this nabucasa integration came out and i was just like i'm not i'm not going to bother learning how to do it the hard way so i just made it yeah, for the, yeah. the integration and then i uh, yeah. i Turn it on. Yeah, I was I was using emulated hue to go the other way to just you know, control some switches through it, but yeah. um, that's quite that's very limited in what you can do. So yeah, yeah, definitely awesome. Well, cool. Well, Sean, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to us. Uh, we will leave links to your blog. You blog a lot about home automation, so that will be up on the show notes as well. 
um yeah thank you so much yeah. i'll um yeah thanks for having me and um yeah I, I can give you some links to the things like the frigate and the usb accelerator as well perfect yeah, yeah fantastic great we'll chuck them in okay cheers cheers yeah thanks it's been great if you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rowan Caramandi. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.